championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Hello, welcome to 4th and 5, your Longhorn Nation podcast. I'm your host, Will Bazer, and I'm joined alongside by Darius Terrell, as always. You guys listen to the Hornscast channel, which you can find on any podcasting platform out there. Today, we're going to be talking about, you know, what just happened to Texas. Texas, out of the blue, fires Tom Herman, and right afterwards, hires... Steve Sarkeesian, all in one day, super fast. I think it was even faster than when they hired Tom Herman in the first place. I think there was less downtime. So we're going to talk about that, give our impressions of the Steve Sarkeesian hire, and then talk about who he's bringing in, the players' reaction, the fans' reaction, the football world's reaction to Texas hiring a new football coach. Darius, let's get right into this. Firing Tom Herman. It's not a surprise that Texas fired Tom Herman. You know, there are people who wanted to keep Tom Herman, but it seemed like everything was trending towards firing Tom Herman. It had more to do than on-field results. Beyond Crystal Conte, there were other things that were at play, whether that was big money donors who wanted Tom Herman gone. It seems like he was gone after the, you know, even maybe even before the OU game. After that, there are reports that he was putting Crystal Conte in a bind financially in other ways than just the fact that big money donors weren't going to donate to Texas if Tom Herman was still there. There was the whole thing with the eyes of Texas. Beyond the Sam Ellinger picture, it seemed like there was issues there in the entire athletic department between Tom Herman and Crystal Conte. And in the end, it just seemed like... Tom Herman had no friends, even though Crystal Conte might have had a little bit of faith in him at the end. It seems like everybody else, everybody else in that building was done with Tom Herman. And that's one part of, I think, a two-pronged reason that Tom Herman did not work out at Texas. The first one being... Tom Herman couldn't keep the BBs in the box, as the late, great Daryl K. Royal said. Which means, make sure that the fans are happy, make sure the big money donors are happy, make sure the administration is happy, make sure the players are happy, make sure the coaches are happy. Keeping everything at Texas, and we talked about this in our big show where we talked about the history of Texas and the, how you have to get everything in alignment. Tom Herman could not do that at Texas, and that was his downfall. And the reason it is his downfall is because he probably could have used some more time. He could have won potentially 10 games this year if we had a full season. But nobody was going to give him time because he didn't build up the power by winning games beforehand. And that's in large part due to the second reason that Tom Herman failed at Texas. He really was just too stubborn. He was too stubborn for his own good. He was supposed to be the hero for Texas, right? An alumni, a guy who was under Mac a GA when Ricky Williams was here, he was supposed to be the wonderkin, the guy who brought Texas back. And like all Greek tragedies, the hero had his flaw. That flaw for Tom Herman being he was too stubborn. We'll get into all of this a little bit more, but Darius, what are your thoughts on what happened here? 
I guess we got to the point where when, when Urban Meyer didn't happen and then you took a look at the, you know, the candidates and, you know, how this wasn't really the year. I had got to a place in my mind where, um, that they were going to be sticking it out with Herman for another year. <laughs> As I'm up watching, uh, I believe it was college game day, you know, halfway listening to it, milling around, getting ready to go, um, do whatever we we're about to do Saturday morning, potentially breaking news, huge breaking news, um, from the state of Texas when we come back. And I was just like, there's no way this is what I think it is, right? I mean, I know we had to report, okay, I had to report on the site on December 22nd, pretty much saying that Herman is out no matter what, and that Steve Sarkeesian is the guy. And he even had a dollar figure for it. That was on the site that was reported. And um, for it to happen on January 2nd, the day after New Year's, first thing in the morning, that tells me that he was absolutely right. This had been done. This deal had been done for a while. And the more that I think about it now, we talked about um, previously how Chris Del Conte, you know, we talked about how he had been so dang quiet <laughs> over the past, you know, 10 months or so. It leads me to think going back to everything that was going on this spring and this summer with the, with the social justice uh, movement and everything. And remember Tom Herman never publicly um, admonished the players or he never reacted Know how some people thought he should have, which was to make the kids fall in line and stand. Instead, he took the opposite approach, which was to, you know, say that they were right. That set it up for this year that outside of outside of winning the conference championship, outside of making a college football playoff with the pandemic going on with the senior quarterback. That was the straw that was, you know what? If he doesn't get this done this year, we're getting this dude the heck up out of here. And Will Texas went seven and three last year. Would have been nine and three without the cancellations of Kansas and uh, the other game that's escaping my mind right now. And to lose three games by just thirteen points, and you just you know you won your bowl game four and zero in the bowl. And second day of the new year, he's out of there. So that tells me this was long. This was in the making for a long time, and um, they knew who they wanted. He was already on a hot seat back in October, and then after the loss of TCU, another team that they should have beat. And after the loss to Oklahoma, it was done. And the fact that there wasn't any real movement after Oklahoma State sold me on the fact that, yeah, Tom Herman really isn't coming back. Should he have? It's a different story. We've already gotten into that. And really, if you want to get our best thoughts on this, I think the best way to do that is to go back to our show on December 9th, the Now What show, after you missed on Urban Meyer. Kind of a rundown of, what needs to happen at Texas to make sure that you have a good coaching hire and what happened with Tom Herman. And really the fact is, is that after October, it was well known that Texas was going after Urban Meyer. That's like cheating on your girl in public, man. You really can't come back from a relationship from, with a coach or a, another human being after you, you have publicly cheated on them. When Texas made not public, but pretty public overtures to Urban Meyer, even though they got rejected, how can either side trust each other? Even if Tom Herman comes in and wins 11 games the next year. It was very much reminiscent of the situation you had with Fred Akers, where Fred Akers was out, and then they stuck with him for another year, and that absolutely destroyed recruiting. Texas did not want that. And that's another big reason Tom Herman was let go. This 2021 class, whether or not it was Tom Herman's fault, and it partly was, it was destroyed. And the 2022 class, not looking much better. Making sure that, hey, if Tom Herman 
doesn't get this done next year, we're not absolutely effed going into the next decade because Texas couldn't afford another decade of, you know, bad football. Leon, you sent me a, a stat earlier that I thought was awesome. Okay, we came from football scoop. I'm going to read it real quick. It said, Texas played in 27 games decided by one score margins on the Herman, and he went 14 and 13 in those games. Remember we talked about why is every freaking game a, <laughs> a last possession deal to where it has to come down to, you know, the little things, right. you know, the little things that Texas isn't good at. Why is every game come down to it, right? And so we weren't tripping. It wasn't a, a mirage. So again, Texas played in 27 games decided by one score margins under Herman, and they went 14 and 13 in those games. No Power Five program played more one score games during his four year uh, run than Texas did. 16 of those 27 games were against unranked opponents. The Longhorns were ranked in the top 25 going into 19 of those 27 games, and they went 10 and 9 in them. So a ranked Texas team lost to an unranked opponent seven times during Tom Herman's four year run. Not only were you losing, there was a unique form of self-destruction because you weren't getting your ass, you weren't getting whooped. Okay. Everything came down to it, it exposed the, the, the little stuff that you talk about, about a team being undisciplined. You mentioned, um, you know, the last straw being TCU and, and Oklahoma. Remember Keontae Ingram fumbled. It was a super frustrating loss to TCU, right? Yeah. Super frustrating loss to Oklahoma because they, you, 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 you did so well against Spencer Rattler. They pulled his butt. And they had to put them back in, and you still lost the game. And then the Iowa State game, the mismanagement of that time. At the same time, so so no question about it. That's three. Again, Texas was seven and three this year. They're they're a few brain farts away from somehow being undefeated, right? But it's it seemed to me that also there there are people, and you know, just going by the reactions of a lot of people, not just players, former players, but just media uh, people that that cover Texas, like you know, people that are influential in the program. A lot of folks didn't want to see him go 10 and 0. And again, I, I know you mentioned like those were the last straw, those losses. And, and we need to talk about the way those games were lost. And also the way that he handled things publicly after the players made those demands, he pissed off a lot of people with a lot of money that make those decisions. And we found out Chris Del Conte was being quiet because Chris Del Conte knew at the end of the day, it wasn't his, it's not going to be his decision. He, it's not his, it's not his choice. Chris Del Conte is not in charge here when it comes to the head football coach at the University of Texas. Chris Del Conte only made that statement a few weeks ago to make sure, to, to show some support to make sure that, that the recruiting class was secure. We cannot deny that now, Will. That, that's pretty dang clear. We wonder where he's been. But this decision had been made a long time ago. Outside of Texas going undefeated or playing in the Big 12 championship, it just made it all the more easier of the excuse. Well, this is not our standard. Bull crap, Will. Texas was, it can be argued that Texas was as frustrating as this stuff was. They're, they're a lot in a lot better shape now. Oh yeah. A lot better shape now than when Herman found this program. And this decision was made based on the head coach's personality, the head coach's lack of an ability to be to, to engage with the political figures and all the stuff you talked about that goes into being the head coach at Texas, his inability to be able to do that. It came down to him not being able to get along with boosters and, and big money donors like you, like we like to talk about on this show. And then again, they lost three games by 13 points. And I'm no Tom Herman. I don't give a crap about Tom Herman, but this had, this had to do with a lot more than on field performance because the performance on the field, if we really look at the facts, really wasn't that bad, especially compared to what, has been going on here for the past decade. I don't want to hear about what the standard has been because the standard has been lower than what has been done here and, and, and achieved here over the last three seasons. At the same time, you can look at the other side of that this season and say, oh, well, he's only 18 points away from being four and six this season. 
I mean, you could say that about a lot of teams. And then I, my dog, I, the counter argument will be that and we talked about it. They don't win that Texas Tech game his first year here. You can you can make an argument. You can play the devil's advocate from either side. Right. But at some point, when you are in so many close games, and we've made this point before, when you're in so many close games, at some point it's on the coaches to, that they are that they are in close games with teams that they should not be. In close games sometimes is fine, but with teams you should not be in close games with all the time is not something that should be a standard. We're going to find out, but I, I'm, I'm wondering, and no, we're not going to find out because if Texas is kicking ass next year, it's going to, Sarkeesian going to get all the credit, but was Texas in so many one score games and one possession games and close games? Was it really that Herman and Cole were so terrible or was the quarterback just not that good? Uh, <sighs> I think the talent at Texas, including the quarterback, was better than people thought it was. I really do. What did the quarterback hold back the offense at all with his, in, with his inaccuracy, his inability to consistently make throws over his four-year career? I just disagree, and I think that goes into the second point of why Tom Herman did not work out at Texas. At the end of the day, I think Tom Herman is a decent coach who built a very strong roster at Texas, including Sam Ellinger, the quarterback. However, he was very, very stubborn with just about everything he did in terms of coaching hires. He brought in his own coaching staff and and thought it was the best coaching staff ever from Houston and refused to really make that many changes on it until he was forced to. And then as soon as he was forced to, it was too little too late. And the stubbornness went beyond that and affected the football field a lot more. Tom Herman, again, great roster builder, great team builder. However, the stubbornness in his personnel decision-making was another point of where his stubbornness bit him in the butt. And Ian Boyd wrote a really good article about this over at Inside Texas. But looking back all the way to his first season here, it, it was a big red flag when he tried to force Garrett Gray onto the field, even though he was not the best player. And, you know, one of the big tenets of being a coach is get your best 11 players out on the field and make it so that they are put in a position to succeed. Well, putting Garrett Gray out there at tight end and forcing 11 personnel, despite not having the people to use 11 personnel, it was a big red flag. Oh no, Tom Herman is forcing. He's stubborn. At the time, we thought, oh, he just knows what he's doing and he knows what he wants. No, it was more stubbornness and he was forcing that. The next year, it was a stubbornness with that staff, right? There was obvious issues with that staff. You saw it with the Maryland game. You saw it uh, with the West Virginia games and the Oklahoma games. You saw issues. But Tom Herman was stubborn. He said, oh, if I just continue to butt my head, if I just continue to pound my head against the wall with this staff, it'll be worked out. And the next year, very early on, oh, well, guess what? I guess Tim Beck really wasn't the guy who you should have stuck with. If we said it back then, if you know at the beginning of the season that a guy on your team is not who you should have, then you should not have had that guy to start the season. You should have made that change in the offseason. So that was a stubbornness, again, that killed Tom Herman. And then again, you know, personnel decisions on the defense side of the ball, the offense side of the ball, it's just been a common theme. And then again, this past year. That's where I'm going to come back to your point. Sam Ellinger, I think, was misused. You look at Sam Ellinger in his best year, and it's coming off his freshman year. Freshman year, you saw Sam Ellinger try to do hero ball, where he was trying to fit throws into 
corners and in downfield like he tried to in high school. And at this level, he just could not do that. So what do they do his second year? They made him more of a game manager, which meant more underneath throws, reading underneath, and a lot more checkdowns. What happened? He only threw one interception, had a great year, brought Texas to the Sugar Bowl. What happened after that? They opened it up a little bit more. Last year, he had a good year, but he was still more of an underneath guy. This year, Tom Herman and Mike Yursich tried to force him into a Mike Yursich offense, which is a downfield hero ball offense. And yes, maybe that was a little bit of Sam Ellinger becoming a senior and wanting to really get back into the hero ball that he was his freshman year and his high school years. But a good coach would know that Sam Ellinger would not work in that offense. And as an offensive coordinator, as a coach in general, you're trying to put your guys in a position to win, and that is not what you do with Sam Ellinger. That is the reason he had such a low accuracy. That's the reason he got hurt. That's the reason that Texas did not do as well this year as they should have, is trying to force players into places that they should not. It's trying to take a square peg and jam it into a round hole. It just doesn't work. At the end of the day, I think there could be a point a few years from now, Will, where we're doing this all over again and we're looking back and realizing that Herman really didn't do that bad of a job. Yeah, but, um, I, I could but, see but, that. I could definitely see that. But talking about the reactions of folks, talking about whether he has support or not. Which right. is such a big job and you have so many BBs and you, it's going to be difficult to be the head coach of Texas, which is why a guy like Matt Campbell said no thank you to Texas. Which is why a guy like Brian Kelly, who is near the end of his career, said no thanks to Texas. And that was also a part of Charlie Strong's downfall on top of exactly. being a, not being a very good coach. He, he he didn't do very well with that stuff either. Exactly. Right. So that's part of being the head coach at Texas. With so many graduates from Texas that are in Texas, which is such a which is in a state that allows for so much success, you're gonna have a lot of powerful alumni, meaning that they're gonna want their voices heard, which means you have that many more BBs uh, compared to a state like Oklahoma, <laughs> where you know, the degree isn't as powerful. That's the deal you have to deal with at Texas. To wrap this all up with Tom Herman, I really want to come back again to the theme of a tragic flaw, a fatal flaw in the heroes of Greek tragedies. Again, Tom Herman, he was a guy who basically had it all in everything that Texas wanted when they hired him. However, his stubbornness was his downfall. At Texas. And that's something that you're going to have to take a swift kick to the nuts to understand and then take a look at yourself in the mirror to fix. And that's what happened to Tom Herman here. At the end of the day, his stubbornness was the reason that he didn't deal well with boosters, that he didn't deal well with people outside the program, that he didn't do well with the administration. And because of that, he had a very, very thin line to walk to succeed at Texas. However, again, his stubbornness on the field, as I talked about with his personnel and his coaching staff and how he ran his team, ended up leading him to a lot of close games that really he shouldn't have been in in the first place, but it didn't end up winning because of stubborn on-field decisions. That's really what the Tom Herman era was. And man, oh man, I haven't even gotten into the recruiting of Tom Herman and the stubbornness behind that. For another day. At the end of the day, Tom Herman, a decent coach, not a great coach, left this program in a way better place than what he found it. Texas went from a sub-500 program, missing bowls, to a consistent top 25 program with four straight bowl wins, including a Sugar Bowl. 
He made Texas football watchable again. He gave Texas a lot of great games. The 2018 OU game, Iowa State game, and the Sugar Bowl were some of the best of this decade. Unlike what you saw during the Charlie Strong era and at the end of the Mac Brown era, the teams under Tom Herman never quit. Unfortunately, the University of Texas is not the place to figure out what your flaws are. It's not the place to be learning on the job. It's not the place to be stubborn and unchanging. You know, you have to be able to look in and understand what needs to happen and what you need to change. Tom Herman will leave a legacy of being the guy who was just so close, but he couldn't get over the hump due to his inability to change himself with on and off field issues. That said, let's go ahead and take a look at Texas's next hire. The next guy coming in, Steve Sarkeesian. As we talked about earlier in the show, the coaching search had been going on since about October and really heated up in December with Urban Meyer. After Urban Meyer said no, you really had to go searching for guys this season. Again, we talked about it. It wasn't a good season to go looking for guys because there weren't a lot of good hires out there and there weren't a lot of good hires who would say yes. And so you really had to go looking for it. We said before you had Matt Campbell, Brian Kelly. They even looked at Gary Kubiak, who was suggested by Kyle Shanahan. After Kyle Shanahan said no, you had Dan Mullen. Yeah, Dan, Dan Mullen's name, he dropped his own name down that list over the, over the course of the weeks. Yeah, on top of that, you had other guys who also dropped their names down the list, like James Franklin and P.J. Fleck and Mario Cristobal. And then he got a raise. Yeah, again, it wasn't a great year to go out and get a slam dunk hire. And in the middle of that list of guys, towards the bottom was Steve Sarkeesian. So, what 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 are your what do you think about Steve Sarkeesian? Like just straight up, like on the hire period. Just so Steve Sarkeesian has been the offensive coordinator. What do you think about his prior history? In short, I'm iffy about this hire, but if but if you really want to understand this hire, it's a good thing you brought up his prior history because that is a big part in understanding this hire, this high-risk, high-reward hire. He was a guy who was one of those maybe hires. And when you're looking for a good hire, you're looking at his prior history. Yeah, well, when you look at Steve Sarkeesian's prior history, that wasn't what really made him the guy, but at the same time, it also was what made him the guy, his quote-unquote prior history. He had a lot of stops along the way to being the offensive coordinator at Alabama. But it's also important to understand where he comes from to understand the potential benefits and risks that are associated with hiring Steve Sarkeesian. Okay, so tell us who Steve Sarkeesian is. All right, let's go down the journey of the career of Steve Sarkeesian then. He started off his coaching career really back at USC under Pete Carroll in 2001 and 2003 during the beginning of the USC dynasty. And from there, he was picked up really, really quickly by the Raiders in 2004, then went right back to USC to become their quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator from 05 to 08. So he was on the sideline against Vince Young. During that same time where Steve Sarkeesian was just blowing up at USC, the University of Washington Huskies were having a real rough time, a real tough go of it going 33-63 and 63 during that same stretch. So in 2008, while Texas was shouting 45-35, a 
little Washington up in Seattle is going 0-12. While again, watching the meteoric, the meteoric rise of Steve Sarkeesian and his career. So, they get the idea to hire Steve Sarkeesian. Steve Sarkeesian is hired in Seattle, and he literally had nothing. He, had, on, he literally had nothing on his roster. He was starting from scratch. It was about as bad as Baylor was before the Matt Rule hire. He was, it was just the, the two, the three staffs prior to him had absolutely destroyed his recruiting base, his entire, you know, his, his recruiting base and his roster. So he takes that 0 and 12 Huskies team and turns them into a 5 and 7 team, a respectable 5 and 7 coming off of 0 and 12 and again being handicapped the way he was. Sort of the same way that Matt Rule was. So after this, he had a three-year row. So after this, three years in a row, uh, you know. So after going five and seven, you were expecting to see maybe a little bit more. You're expecting to see maybe some steps up from five and seven. Yeah, you did the first year seven and six, but after that, it was three years of seven and six before ending off his time with the Huskies at nine and four. So while the turnaround was not as good as Matt Rule, it was still commendable. But there was the issue that people didn't believe he could break through that level of just being an average team of just going seven and five, seven and five, seven and five, and maybe make eight wins and going to just the Holiday Bowl and the Alamo Bowl and the Las Vegas Bowl and the Fight Hunger Bowl. You know, that was a, a drawback for Steve Sarkeesian is could he really take a program to the next level? He gave him the name, though, of Seven Win Sark amongst the Pac-12. He really just couldn't get past that seven win until his last season. And that's when USC started to look around for a coach. USC looks at the turnaround that happened at Washington. It was like, huh, Lane Kiffin didn't really work out. Let's hire another guy just like him in Steve Sarkeesian. Wait, so let's freeze. Let's freeze real quick. So after what just you just said about Washington, those four-year stretch, you know, the Fight Hunger Bowl, <laughs> the Mako Bowl, Alamo Bowl, he still got a, a better job after that four-year stretch kinda, at USC, yeah, kinda right? kind of failed upwards. And yeah. he's, a, he's, a, he's a, at his alma mater where he was the previous quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. So he failed up. Okay. All right. So tell us about USC again. The first year Steve Sarkeesian gets there, he goes 9-4, and four, which is pretty good. However... There is one really big issue with Steve Sarkeesian. He is an alcoholic. And this consisted of him arriving to press conferences under the influence, mm-hmm. meetings under the influence, in the facility under the influence. It was out of control. Yeah, no, it was more than that. He showed up to the game against Arizona Hammered. He showed up to practices Hammered as well. It was a big deal. It was a bad deal. And that's just what happens you know, that's one of the things about being an alcoholic is you really can't help it. You can't stop it at times. You know, you, it's really, really difficult. It is a sickness. And not to rag on anybody's mistakes, but we need to talk about who Texas just hired because Texas fans need to understand, Will, and, let me, uh, and I'm going to let you finish real quick, but I need Texas fans to understand. Take a second to be honest with yourself, and something very real just happened. This is a very real moment, Will. Texas didn't just hire some big-name superstar coach. Yeah. You're right. I get it. Steve Sarkeesian is outkicking his coverage here a bit. And you can see that with the offer that he got. It's 
I think the 15th best offer in the nation right now, somewhere around there in terms of head coaching contracts. And you wouldn't expect that one of the schools that makes the most money when it comes to college football. However, every other hire out there either would not come to Texas, a la Matt Campbell not wanting to deal with the boosters, or also had their own glaring issues like James Franklin or PJ Fleck or whoever else was out there. Unfortunately, as we talked about, Steve Sarkeesian's issue is a doozy. Again, it is alcoholism. I'm not trying to shame him here. Alcoholism is terrible. And alcoholism doesn't just go away. It is something that will haunt him for the rest of his life and also his children's lives because it is a genetic thing. It will be something that the administrators are going to have to be prepared for when it comes to his contract and just watch out for him while he's running the program. Because in the past, alcoholism led to Steve Sarkeesian and USC taking a very swift and very public kick to the nuts. A public shaming that is more than I can even imagine. I can't imagine my personal dirty laundry getting thrown out there like that. From there, Steve Sarkeesian goes to rehab and does his thing to get better, but also follows Lane Kiffin again to Alabama. Not on purpose, mind you, but he signs on to be an offensive analyst at Alabama while he gets his life straightened out. From Alabama, you know, he has a very, very short stint to be the offensive coordinator in the national championship after Lane Kiffin got hired. He won that and then went to be the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons. After the Atlanta Falcons staff is fired, he takes his new buddy Kyle Flood and takes him back to Tuscaloosa with him as he is hired to be the offensive coordinator for Alabama. This is where Texas finds him now. And also, at the same time, why we are here. Through this journey that we just took you on, you can see the potential benefits and the risks of this hire. The reason he got hired at Texas is the journey he went on. He got knocked down quite a few pegs and even said himself that he had to go and look inwards and deal with his ego. He had to understand what he can and cannot control and grow from it. It was something that you really need to be in a managerial position is the understanding that you can always grow, that you can change, that you need to be flexible in this position and you're going to need to grow with the times. But most importantly, in the eyes of the administrators who hired him, Jay Hartzell, Chris Del Conte, and Kevin Eltif, Steve Sarkeesian had six and a half years of being a head coach for a Power 5 program. One really, really big Power 5 program where he had lots of expectations. From a historical standpoint, those six and a half years are the third most of any coach Texas has hired in their history, the first being Dana Bible and Mac Brown. Now you have Steve Sarkeesian. So that is actually, you know, a pretty big check mark right there. The third thing here being the really big reason that they hired him. And it is during that entire journey, he was just taking people's business cards and adding it to his Rolodex. Taking a business card, adding it to his Rolodex. And now his Rolodex is really, really, really strong. And for those who don't know what a Rolodex is, because I've had to explain this to uh, younger people, what a Rolodex is is basically your, your contacts on your phone. That has a lot of contacts, a lot of strong contacts that he can actually go to. So during this journey, you know, he's worked with guys 
at Washington, USC, the Raiders, the Falcons, and most importantly, Alabama. And well, he's had opportunities to go be the head coach at other places too. He's turned down jobs too to stay at Alabama. Nick Saban has wanted him to stay at Alabama. He's he's yeah. fought to keep him. Supposedly, he was the guy who, if Nick Saban were to retire in the next few years, Steve Sarkeesian was his guy. The unofficial head coach in waiting, right? And while that's all and good, that's not the real big reason that Texas hired him. Again, going back to his Rolodex, all the coaches he's worked with and all the places that he's gone. And a lot of these coaches that he's worked with are guys who were either really good position coaches or head coaches or offensive coordinators went to the NFL, worked their way all the way up to the NFL, and then couldn't cut it there. Or they were big program coaches who worked their way up to being a head coach at a big program and then ended up failing kind of like him. Ended up at Saban's school for coaches who can't coach good and want to learn how to do other stuff good too. That shows you one of the big draws of Steve Sarkeesian is that he can bring along a lot of these guys to Texas and as an offensive coordinator at Alabama, he's not beholden to bring his staff from a G5 school to the next stop like what you saw with Charlie Strong or Tom Herman, right, as a head coach at a G5 school. He didn't build up a place, right? He doesn't feel obligated to bring the guys that got him there, right? Right. So you're not stuck with bringing Derek Wareheim, Tim Beck, Sean Mm -hmm. Watson, uh, and... Jason Washington. Jason Washington. Hiring Corby Meekins from the high school. Yeah. Right. Or any other coaches who probably shouldn't be at Texas. That's the idea there. You can really dig into your Rolodex as a head coach, as a former head coach, as a current coach at Alabama, as a coach who went to the NFL. You have enough experience being a head coach and working at all these different programs that you're not limited in who you can bring in to your next big job. You're not stuck having to retain guys like Les Koenig because you can obviously go above and beyond that. And it's going to allow you to bring in guys like Kyle Flood as the offensive coordinator and offensive line. Kyle Flood is a name that I've heard over and over and over again as a potential offensive coordinator and offensive line coach. And when you hear Alabama fans hear about losing Kyle Flood, my Alabama friend said, I'm going to jump off a bridge if we lose Kyle Flood. That's how much they like Kyle Flood. He's that good. And the fact is, Steve Sarkeesian got Kyle Flood his job at Alabama. He brought him with him after Kyle Flood failed at Rutgers. He was the head coach. He worked his way all the way up after Greg Schiano left Rutgers to head coach, and he failed as the head coach at Rutgers. Went to be an offensive assistant offensive line coach at Atlanta. Who was there? Oh, uh, our, our friend Steve Sarkeesian was the offensive coordinator there. Went mm-hmm. back to Alabama, brought Kyle Flood along with him. There's your tie right there. So that's that's one way that Steve Sarkeesian has all these ties. And, and so you're bringing in Kyle Flood, and, and he's, you know, people don't like Herb Hand. Well, Kyle Flood is the guy as an offensive line coach. You know, you're looking at, okay, who are the best offensive line coaches in the nation? Try a, a former head coach who worked his way up there by being an off, a great offensive line coach at mm-hmm. Rutgers. So, you know, and there's... He, he's been the guy responsible for getting the Brockermeyers out of Texas, you know, yeah. Jaden Roberts this year. He's done a... He's, he's a he is one of the top... Um, he's one of the top recruiting assistants um, in the country, and that's recognized um, pretty much anywhere by everyone. 
Yeah, and um, in terms of also developing them, true. Yeah, yeah I mean, ah, you at know Rutgers. what? I'm, 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 I'm gonna be. Oh, at Rutgers, yeah, okay, okay. We talk about Alabama for a second. I'm like, that's hard to tell. You know who? Yeah, to no, give we'll, all the credit we'll, get, to. we'll get into um, bringing guys from Alabama in a second. But the reason hmm. that you're bringing Steve Sarkeesian is not because, man, you know he's proven himself as a head coach. I guess if you want to take a little sneak peek into our next section. He really hasn't proven himself as a head coach. In fact, in some ways, it seems like a rerun of Tom Herman. If it hasn't been made clear, and I'm not, I'm not trying to go backwards, but if it hadn't been made clear again, I think this was a move that happened to clean up what was becoming a bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger growing situation behind the scenes. Um, and again, the only way to do it clean, Will, was Urban Meyer. All right, there were no clean other clean options. Yeah. Texas is. Texas is set up to be really good. Again, they're in they're in a they're in a much much healthier situation going into 2021. We talked about it in our last show when yeah. Tom Herman Wright took over this job. Texas they had to get rid of their current coach, even though he may have looks in a way have him on the right trajectory. Had to get rid of him. They need somebody to save him. Steve Sarkeesian has hit a lot of roadblocks in his career of his own doing, but Texas may be perfect for him. And he may be perfect for Texas. In a, in, a, in a way, it makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Yeah, and the big reason that you're bringing him in is you're hoping he can bring along a lot of these great staff hires. You, like he you can, said, he, you're yeah. hoping that he can bring along a bunch of his guys and build up a great staff. because and he doesn't owe anybody anything. Exactly. He doesn't owe anybody anything. He's helped guys along, so he has friends in his business. Yep. Sean Watson isn't coming from Louisville with him. Yeah, exactly. He, he exactly. can pick. Yeah. So I, I hadn't thought about that. Tim Wouldn't Beck that, is that, not that? coming with him because he doesn't owe mm-hmm. Tim Beck anything. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that in a way. That's something that, yeah. And other candidates couldn't say that. P.J. Fleck would have had to bring his staff, right? Yeah. You know? So, uh, yeah. You, exactly. You that. However, however, despite all of this, the risks are also very apparent. I cannot... I feel like I'm really harping on this, and I don't mean to. I'm not faulting Steve Sarkeesian for his faults. You know, I'm not faulting Steve Sarkeesian for being an alcoholic. It is a terrible thing. It is a sickness that he cannot control. Uh, you know, he cannot control having. It is still an issue. It's still an issue for as stressful a job as Texas is having to deal with the boosters, your players, your other coaches the media, all of it. And on top of all that, the expectations of the program. It is a lot. I know I've heard the argument that you know that Lane Kiffin brought up, which is he's made it well known that the Saban program really wears you down, it grinds you down. It's It wears you down, and it is incredibly stressful to be a coach, much more an offensive coordinator for Nick Saban. And for Steve Sarkeesian to come away with that as highly praised publicly as he has been after the public humiliation he went through after USC is very impressive. However, alcoholism does not go away for good ever. It's like depression. It's like ADHD. It is something that is just going to be there. And unfortunately, it's something that is a big deal and there are going to be times where he slips up. It just happens. But if he lets it affect him 
like he let it affect him at the USC job, it's not only going to be very embarrassing for him, it's going to be embarrassing for Texas, CDC, Jay Hartzell, and Kevin Altif. Another less serious risk for everyone involved is the risk that he comes from the Saban School of Coaches. And the reason I bring this up is because anybody who coaches for Alabama right now is going to look good. Even the guys who get fired from Alabama look good. It's hard to look bad with all the talent that Alabama has on their roster. It's hard to look bad coaching in college football with an NFL roster. Steve Sarkeesian, I'm sure his offense is great. I haven't gone really in-depth into it yet. But you'll be hard-pressed to find someone who leaves that staff and does well outside of the program when they don't have that NFL roster. Even Kirby Smart is having trouble with about as much talent on his team right now, currently, than Texas had during the entire 2010s decade. It's, I mean, that's really phenomenal. That's a that's an insane stat I found. So that's something I'm going to be watching, and something I think fans should watch as well is, okay, you were a great offensive coordinator at Alabama. Can you be a great offensive coordinator and head coach at Texas without the added benefit of an NFL roster? So, it, 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 it is a little bit different, though, because like, I mean, like you're talking about the, the folks that I've worked for him previously, his former assistants outside of Kiffin, none of them have had any head coaching um, experience at the at the power five level, which is different. But I just think we have to be prepared and understand, like, yes, Star- Starkeesian is recognized as a great offensive mind. All right. There's nothing in his past and his track record as a power five head coach that shows he's the guy that can win a championship. So like with any coach, but it's increasingly important for him because like you said, he doesn't come having to bring anybody with him that he's tied to is, is his success is going to hinge. And I, I don't worry about Texas scoring points, but his success is going to hinge well on, on who he hires to run his defense. Yeah. And, and if it's a guy, the, the common name we're hearing right now, and I don't know how, how strong the odds are of it happening or, or Tosh Lupoy. Um, Tosh Lupoy was the um, defense coordinator at Alabama for two years, like you mentioned, and he, he's had some work in the NFL. Is he going to try to come to Texas and install a super, you know, complex <laughs> Alabama, you know, NFL, Nick Saban style defense with these Texas players who, who we've seen struggled with that just a year ago? Um, is yeah. he going to try to do this during a pandemic, you know, where they can't spend as much time together as you normally would in the offseason? You see what I'm saying? What are the odds that a guy like Chris Ash can stay on in a co role, you know, with a guy like Lou Poy? It's just, it's so fluid. It's so many questions. These decisions that he makes over the next two weeks are going to have such a huge impact 24 months from now. And it's just, it's, it's, it's scary because again, he, this is such a gamble. <laughs> right. But when you look at the potential staff, he is suggesting even the backup guys to that staff and the backups to the backups. It's all exciting. It makes you understand why they took the gamble on Steve Sarkeesian. If he can bring in some of the guys he's promising, then it's worth it. At least for the first few years, it is worth it. However, not all these names are going to hit. We can go through these names that are being thrown out there, but I think in this segment, while we're going to give y'all a few names to look at, I think most importantly, we have to get y'all to understand 
what the plan is. Because again, these names are going to change day to day. The idea behind Steve Sarkeesian deciding who stays and who goes right now is that all the guys on the staff right now have a possibility of staying unless they've already been let go, like basically the entire offensive side of the staff has. They are the floor for this staff, the guys who are already at Texas. They are the baseline. If Steve Sarkeesian thinks he can reach into his Rolodex and pull somebody better, that is when you're likely to see it come out that a coach is not being retained, which is why you just saw Herb Hand get let go, but Stan Drayton be kept, which is why you haven't seen any of the defensive staff be let go yet. So Steve Sarkeesian is going to shoot for the hottest names out there right now, the biggest names, the most proven names, the hot names, the most potential. He can do so because he'll have the budget to give these guys big contracts since his own contract won't be giant, as we talked about before. And the idea that he's going to shoot for these guys and that the guys currently there are the floor is especially true for the defensive coordinator spot. Right now, the baseline for that defensive side is Ash, Chris Ash. He is the floor for Steve Sarkeesian, and that's a pretty good floor. And he's watched tape of Chris Ash. He knows what potential Chris Ash has. So while Steve Sarkeesian has Ash under contract, while he has Ash as the floor, Steve Sarkeesian is going to go do his exhaustive due diligence in making sure that he has the best guy. He's going to go look at proven names like Will Muschamp and Barry Odom or the hot upcoming coaches like David Arnett or Marcus Freeman or whoever. Afterwards, if he doesn't get blown away by any of those interviews or is able to pull in one of those guys, he can come back to Ash and say, so, I've talked with all these other guys. Why should you be the defensive coordinator over them? He can see how bought in Chris Ash is, how much he's going to help him out, and then afterwards he can tell everybody else, this was a national search, the best guy is here. And again, I believe if nobody absolutely blows Steve Sarkeesian out of the water, Chris Ash should keep his job. He has done a fantastic job at Texas. He hid the flaws of the Texas defense well. He brought in great staff hires. And I believe that he's proven his concepts can work in the Big 12 if he has enough production on his team, enough seniority, enough people who understand it. But with Ash, you're just going to have to be careful, though, that you don't lose him to wherever Urban Meyer goes in the NFL or any other team that's trying to poach him right now. Anyways, I know that defense is probably the most important right now, but all of that right now is up in the air. We'll get back to that. Let's look at the offense because those names are the names that we have the best ideas are actually coming to Texas. And we'll start off with the quarterback coach, which is an interesting hire, really. And it's one of those that is kind of exciting. Right now we have two names we've heard, one a lot more probable than the other. We have Doug Nussmeyer, the quarterback's coach for the Cowboys, and A.J. Milwee, an up-and-comer, a 30-under-30 guy, one that Nick Saban was keeping tabs on to become a coach on his staff. Yeah, Milwee, Nussmeyer. I'm not super familiar with Milwee. Um, the name Nussmeyer gets me excited personally because of how much experience he has as a as a head coach at the college level, for one. Um, the experience he has had at the NFL level, 
And Doug Nussmeyer, Doug Nussmeyer is the father of um of Garrett Nussmeyer that's headed to um heading to LSU in this 2021 class. And Nussmeyer is a name I think gets folks excited, especially in a role as a in a support role, you know. Yeah. And again, the concern isn't really about Texas scoring points. It's going to be about the defense. But no, those two names with the name Nussmeyer gets me excited. Milwee is a guy who you just talked about being a, uh, um, a young name, you know, uh, up and coming guy. A guy who Nick Saban was right. keeping tabs on. But I'm, I'm, I don't think, unless he's a super personality, I think Sarkeesian would probably be best served, you know, bringing on a guy like Nussmeyer with, that's got, you know, that can be in his ear. That's right. my opinion on it, but we'll see. It, it can end up being neither one of these guys. It seems like A.J. Milwee is the guy, though. He is what Drew Maringer was supposed to be. And right now, he's kind of tied up being named the offensive coordinator for Arkansas State, but I think there's a very good chance that he leaves Butch Jones at Arkansas State and heads to Texas with Steve Sarkeesian. For me, that would be tough to give up the, you know, the, the ability to be the one in charge calling the plays, but you know, we'll see. Right. Who was an offensive analyst at Alabama after being the offensive coordinator at Akron, where he built a very impressive offense for the Zips, but that staff got fired and he was let go and he ended up as an offensive analyst for Nick Saban. He was a guy who was a thirty under thirty coach in twenty sixteen. He is considered a hot young prospect, mm-hmm. a coach in waiting in Alabama if he wasn't snapped up before that. So that's who you're talking about with your quarterbacks. And if if you bring in Doug Nussmeyer, he's probably going to win an OC title under his name. Or an associate assistant head coach, you know, something like something that. Something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Running backs coach, Stan Drayton. You're keeping nice. him. I mean, he's done a fantastic job of recruiting so far, or at least bringing guys along like Rashawn Johnson B. John Robinson, don't get rid of the guy who brought that guy. I guess you already did. That was Tim Beck. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> don't, don't bring along role. the guy who yeah. B. John Robinson is comfortable with, right? Yeah. I mean, the reports are that that's, that's going to happen. Drayton staying. That's that's great news. And um, right. I'm thinking right. hopefully just, just make sure B. John doesn't keep getting subbed out so much. And it'll yeah. be good, man. Well, I think, again, we talked about that. Is is it the what they sold him on? Right, as not being right, a right, bell right. cow and being more in a rotation. Yeah, it was tongue uh, in cheek. Also, Stan Drayton helps you with LJ Johnson. You know, maybe it's going to be harder since Texas A&M actually won their their Orange Bowl game. We'll see what happens there. Oh, that 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 bowl game mattered with it, with North Carolina missing their top two rushers. That mattered. That bowl game it matters mattered, huh? now. Oh, okay. Cause, okay. All right. Anyway. It didn't matter when it was Florida though. Florida, there was an excuse there. But with yeah. UNC, oh, no, UNC was full strength. Yeah. Did you see UNC? They were full. They were so good. They were definitely full strength. Uh, ACC uh, power, right. <laughs> also, don't forget the guy behind Stan Drayton and Brandon Harris, who is likely going to become the next Rashad Samples. I assume he's going to be kept on this staff. He has done a phenomenal job in the role he's played. And while we're on that topic – Make sure that you retain Brian Carrington. That guy has been a rainmaker as a recruiter. Recruiting is the lifeblood of a football program in college football. He's done a very good job, even though he was handicapped at times by the past staff. I believe he's going to be retained like Stan Drayton, hopefully like Brandon Harris. So those two retainments are a good first step for Steve Sarkeesian. And speaking of Rashad Samples and wide receivers, Look at the wide receivers coach, and 
it looks like it's going to come down to Holman Wiggins or Kerry Colbert. And I know T. Wiggins' name has been thrown out there, but let's start with Kerry Colbert. When it comes to Steve Sarkeesian getting this job, one thing that I'm, I'm worried about is him going in and saying that he went into his, his job interview and puffed out of his chest and said, I can 100% get these guys. And then when push comes to shove, the guys that he wants to get, they're like, nah, I'm comfortable where I am, right? That's that's a concern I have. And then you're going to see, okay, well, who were his second guys up? That's kind of where I am with Kerry Colbert. Kerry uh, Colbert's the USC wide receivers coach. He's a guy who was fighting Texas for Brew McCoy. Uh, you saw... <laughs> What was it? Brian Carrington poking fun at him when Rubicoy came back, and then he poked fun at Brian Carrington when he went back to USC. All that. That's the guy who has been the name that you've seen consistently. The next guy up, Holman Wiggins, who is the current wide receivers coach at Alabama. And the guy who has uh, probably the guy who's going to win the Heisman under his belt. Yeah, Holman Wiggins. I don't know a ton about him. Um, It's a name that, you know, we just started to hear circulate, you know, recently. Um, Kerry Colbert, you know, was that was an NFL wide receiver, was a heck of a wide receiver at USC as well. But um, I, I personally, despite the ties to Sarkeesian, I just, you know, Kerry Colbert's at his alma mater. You know, I just, I feel like it would be kind of tough to pry him away from USC, especially with them having turned things around over the last um, year and a half or so. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying it'll be interesting to see how comfortable he is with Clay Helton and, and how comfortable Clay Helton is, jobs is right now. Yeah, I just uh, – it would be great. It would be great. I just – I would be surprised personally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then Holman Wiggins. Again, it's it's another guy who – it's not a long shot, but it is, it is certainly a ballsy shot to try to bring him away from Alabama when he has a guy like, uh, you know, Jalen Waddell coming up the pipeline. Man, he's got plenty. My thing with Holman Wiggins, and I don't know a ton about him, he's only in his second year at Alabama, so I don't know how much credit – um, you can really give them for the guys like, you know, Jerry Judy, you know, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith. I don't know how much involvement, you know, he actually had in developing those guys, but um, he's a name and just another name for y'all to keep an eye on. And of course, you know, things are fluid. You know, it could be somebody totally different. You know, we're just sharing with y'all what we've heard. It's things fluid and we won't have everything set in stone for, again, for probably another week and a half. But, right. Um, no, Wiggins is a name. There will be new names that come up. Another name that um that I had heard possibly that's at Tennessee right now, that sinking ship was T. Martin. And um you would think if he's going to come coach the wide receivers, he would need some type of co-OC title or something. So it's just a lot of stuff, you know, that can right. be worked out. But think about a guy like T. Martin on his staff with um with Tosh Lupoy and, and Kyle Flood. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's stuff to get excited about. But at the same time, Will, this stuff never ends up going through, coming all together like you like you imagine it, you know? Yeah. So let's not let's we need to be careful too, you know, sharing all this stuff, getting folks too excited because this is false expectations. I've hurt this fan base before in this program before. So but um, we're just sharing with y'all what we've heard so far. And of course, none of this is all going to be so fluid because there's so much time in between that championship game. The wide receiver is a position that I think is going to be fluid, but at least you're looking at these guys instead of you know, Drew Maringer or who was the guy that Charlie Strong kept on the staff? Uh, Les Kenning. You know, at least these are the guys you're looking at, right? And you're yeah. shooting you're shooting high with all of these names, really. All of these names are high shots. Maybe A.J. Milwee is a little bit of a lower shot, but all of these names are pretty much high shots. 
And with Jeff Banks telling Steve Sarkeesian recently that he's probably going to stick with Alabama, that means that he's still going to have to take some high shots going forward here at the tight end position. This means that Steve Sarkeesian will have to scour the nation in search of a rainmaker recruiter for that position. That's where you put your rainmaker recruiter is that tight end position or the running back position. And perhaps you look up I-35 and kick the tires on Joey McGuire again. Maybe you kick the tires on Tim Brewster. Regardless of what you do here, you need a rainmaker recruiter. And Darius, I don't know about you. I don't know where that is right now. I know off the top of my head. But this is where Steve Sarkeesian is going to have to look in his Rolodex, look around the country, and actually find a guy who is a good recruiter like Jeff Banks was. The next guy you have, a guy we've already talked about, Kyle Flood. If you bring in Kyle Flood, he's probably going to be your offensive coordinator. And the other guy, if you don't bring in Kyle Flood, is Brad Davis, who is Sam Pittman's boy. You bring in Brad Davis, Sam Pittman's an offensive line guy. Bring in Brad Davis from Arkansas would be would be a big name as well. Uh, he's a guy who is you know a big name. He knows how to coach offensive line. I mean, if you look at the Arkansas offensive line from this year from last year, it's a big difference. So he was at Missouri for two years before this job, and before that he was at um, Florida. And at North Texas before that as the offensive line coach. And like you mentioned, he's got ties to the area. He's from Baton Rouge. He played at Oklahoma. He spent time at North Texas, and he was a GA at Texas A&M. So he's no stranger to the state. Exactly. So let's go ahead and head on to the defensive side of the ball here. And again, this is the most important part for Steve Sarkeesian to get right. So it makes sense that he's going to want a guy who he completely trusts, and that's why he's doing his due diligence with all of this. And that basically means that we don't know who the defensive coordinator is going to be for a while. And until the defensive coordinator is found for Texas, the staff for the defensive side of the ball is a little bit up in the air. Uh, Texas is going to go on this exhaustive search for the defensive coordinator. And again, we probably won't know who it's going to be maybe until after the 12th of January, after the national championship. We've already told y'all about Tosh Lupoy a little bit. Darius did. So we'll, we'll go into defensive line here. I personally think that Texas should keep Oscar Giles, despite him not being the best developer of pass rushers. Uh, unless you can bring in a guy like Bo Davis or an absolute rainmaker, Oscar Giles has done a phenomenal job of what he's done. He's built up a defensive line that has a lot of depth. I think he has done a phenomenal job, and he's a guy who immediately gives you ties into the state for Steve Sarkeesian. Coleman Hutzler should 100% be retained. I will stand on a table for that man right now. It still depends on who ultimately ends up being the defensive coordinator, but luckily, from what I've heard... I believe he'll be retained. And that is great news because like we talked about in the last show. If you saw what he did with the Marvin Overshone and Jawan Mitchell and turning those guys' careers around, as well as David Benda and Jalen Ford coming up behind them, he's done a phenomenal job with recruiting as well. He has been a home run hire for this Texas team. You can go and try to get Tosh Lupoy, but I don't think you should really shy away from Coleman Hutzler. That dude is amazing. And then defensive backs. We already know Blake... Gideon is coming back, and that's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I'm, I'm really excited about what he can do. He's a really good special teams coach. He's been quietly a really good coach. It's going to be interesting to see where they put Chris Ash if he re- is retained since he's the safeties coach. And beyond that, see what else they do because you have Jay Valai here. 
Maybe you go with Corey Raymond from LSU. It, it seems like he's feeling the heat from the situation there and might be looking to jump ship and come back to Texas. That would be a home run hire, but he's a guy that you hear about the rumors this time of the year, and he always stays. So, mm-hmm. But that would be a home run hire from a defensive back name standpoint. Exactly. So it really just depends on Steve Sarkeesian, and we'll know a lot more after the 12th, after the national championship game. But he has started interviewing coaches, and that's the reason you're keeping Sam Drayton. That's the reason that you're probably keeping Brian Carrington. You're keeping your support staff, most likely. He he already knows who is likely going to be kept on. He's already let the, the football players know, hey, I want to make sure you guys are comfortable here, meaning they're likely going to be keeping a few names here. Stan Drayton, probably a few guys on the defense side of the ball. That's probably where you are is there's a lot of names that are going to stick around. Guys I would you know, probably stick my neck out for Coleman Hustler, Oscar Giles, Chris Ash at this point, Stan Drayton, Brian Carrington, guys who, you know, you keep you, when you look at the tweets from players, it's like, yeah, I'm going to be with Coleman Hustler. Yeah. I want to stay with Stan Drayton. There was a hashtag, you know, keep BC, keep Brian Carrington. Those names though. If, if those guys leave, that's red flags. If he, if no, if, if he doesn't keep those guys, that may be red flag, depending on who he brings in behind them. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, there's going to be a lot of, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of rumors and, and, and you know, names circulating over the next few days. The truth is, uh, it's all fun. This is one of the fun parts of the offseason, you know, it's for Texas starting all over again. Yep. Um, the, right now, the, the possibilities are endless. We can, we can get put together an all-star staff, man. It's just, ah. <sighs> I'm excited, but at the same time, like... <laughs> the keys to this regime, this next few years, are going to be made in the next month. Who is he bringing on? How much faith do you have in that? How good of recruiters are they, and how good of a developer are they? That's what mm-hmm. you're going to be keeping an eye on. And he even said it himself. What's the key to being good at Texas is developing talent. Sounds great. You know what they all come in and say? The best players best players in Texas is going to stay in Texas. We're going to develop. You know, it all sounds great. We'll see. Yeah, We'll see. He said all the right things. I mean, they always do. So, we'll see. We'll see. He needs to bring in the right staff. And we're going to find out about that in uh, about two weeks. Yeah, we'll judge it on paper in yep. about two weeks. And then we'll watch it all play out before our eyes yep. over the next two years. But, yeah, man. It's going to be, this is a very, very big month for the next decade of Texas football. Dream big. Yep. On that note, y'all, that's your fourth and five podcast, your Longhorn Nation podcast. I've been your host, Will Bazer. You guys can find me on Twitter at W-I-L-L-B-A-I-Z-E-R. My man, DT, where can we find you? Uh, y'all can find me on Twitter as well. Um, again, I've been getting some, some decent interaction, man. Don't be afraid to hit me up, D-T-E-R-R-E-L-L-0-5. Uh, I'd like to know what you think. I always love to hear you all's thoughts on the show. And um, hook them. Yeah. You guys can find our other stuff on texas.thefootballbrainx.com. Super K, again, called this. So He did, two weeks ago. He's a freaking savant. Get the news before it happens there. 
where you can find our other podcasts right here on the Hornscast channel. It's the Hornscast channel on any podcasting platform out there. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you all next week. Hook them. Hook them.